Yeah, I'll come out here today. Paul, am I okay? How far can I come up here? I don't want to lose. I'm good here. I'm good right here. Okay, thank you. We do have people that watch online, and I um, don't say hello often enough, so if you are watching online, uh, thank you for joining, and, and welcome. It's all about me. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I mean, and mean it. Probably not. Did you ever feel that way about someone? The way they project themselves, the way in which they dominate with the ball on the floor or in a team or in in what's supposed to be a group project, maybe at work or in school or something where, where there's one person who's on the team who wants to make all the decisions, wants all the credit, it's, it, it becomes all about me. I'm sure that we have experiences in our lives with, with exactly that. And if we're very honest with ourselves, have, haven't each of us stepped into that realm at least a little bit from time to time, looking back, where it became my desire that matters most. My needs have to trump everybody else's needs because it's all about me. When Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he wanted to communicate something that is very important in all of Paul's writings that you find here in the New Testament. And while he has many major themes that we see in in all of these letters to the churches in Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Colossae and here to Philippi, Many great themes, of course, about Jesus Christ and Him risen and salvation through Him. But if there's one message He has to the church itself consistently, it's unity. It is the the importance of unity. Think for a moment of Jesus in His story when He was about to go to the cross he was about to suffer and, and, and die and eventually, praise God, rise again. But he had to go through the pain. He had to go through the darkness. He had to go through the abandonment. He had to go through the mockery and the rejection. And all of that was, was about to come. And he knew it. And he's praying. And what was the focus of his prayer? Oh, God, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And there was actually kind of a tinge of that when he said, Lord, if there's a way that you can take this this cup that I have to drink, this this thing that I'm going to do, take it away, but not your will but mine. And then he let go of that. And then in, in the book of John, we can read his whole prayer when he starts praying for others. He's about to suffer more than any human's ever suffered. And yet... He let go of his own desire, his own fears, his own self, and said, Lord, I'm going to pray for, first of all, for my disciples, because those 12 guys were about to go through a whole lot of of, of trouble and strife and, and abandonment themselves, and he knew it, so he asked God to help them. And then he transitioned the prayer into, and he said, I pray for all those who will believe their message. Now, who's that? That's you. That's me. 
if we were followers of Jesus, because those apostles began the message after they were empowered at Pentecost by the Spirit. They went out into the world and they, they preached the gospel as he told them. And they baptized people and they started churches. And the church has continued for these 2,000 years. And so when Jesus, this is so cool, when Jesus was praying that prayer in Gethsemane, he was praying for you. He said, I pray for those who will hear this message. And what was the content of that prayer? That they would be one. That we, as followers of Jesus, would be one, be united. An honest assessment of the church throughout history, I think we have to say that in many ways we haven't done very well. There are approximately 40,000 denominations of Christianity throughout the world right now. 40,000. That's not to mention all of the churches that are, choose to be independent and don't want to tie in, which is fine, you know. But So if you add those up, I don't know what the number would be. But, and, and most of them are, are believing in the same Jesus and as, as Paul says, just, just hold to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, him crucified. And that's what matters, and him risen again. And, and, and if we're holding to that, then we have to say, I'm okay. If we're holding to that, then we have to say that they are brothers and sisters if they are believing in that Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord. And after that, there are so many different variances of worship practice, of, I want to call side beliefs, of what we believe about this scripture or that scripture. And one after another throughout the ages has divided and divided and divided and divided, and it keeps on dividing. And that's not what Jesus had in mind when he's praying there in Gethsemane. So that's the bad news. And yet, in spite of all of that division, in spite of all of that disunity and turmoil throughout church history, somehow, today, we still have the heart of the message. As we sang a moment ago, the heart of worship still takes place. That is a belief in the one that God has sent. That's what matters. That's what matters to to, to you and I at the heart level, that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, he's, and He died for me and, and He's forgiven me and I believe that, I've embraced that, I've drawn life from that, I've been blessed by that. And that still works because God hasn't gone away, because it's truth. And so you have that, that tension between a divided church historically, church in the biggest sense of it, and yet somewhere in the middle of all our mess and chaos is still the truth of the message of Jesus who loves us. And we can connect them with others who believe that message. That's what matters. That's what the church is. So here in the end of the first chapter of Philippians, last week we, we wrapped it up at the 26th verse, and Paul had just talked about his own desire to, to just go on and live with Jesus forever. 
He had, he had fought the hard fight. He, he had done so much for the Lord. And he even says then, for me to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But he's willing to stick it out. He's willing to stay and continue the message if that's what God had for him. And that's the message that he gave. And now he's transitioning into a message to, to this church when he says in the 27th verse, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's stop there. Worthy of the gospel. Now, now remember, you are not worthy of salvation in the sense of earning it. You can't. You're, you're, you're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not holy enough. You're not obedient enough. You're not enough in the, in the eyes of the holiness of God by yourself apart from Christ. You can't do it. But... When in faith you humbly come to him and say, Lord, here I am, such as I am, broken as I am, sinful as I am, this is me, help me, love me, forgive me. And, and, and that's when the, your true nature begins to emerge, the nature he intended for you, that as a child of God who follows the way of Jesus. And so we're not... Worthy in the sense of earning it, but think of it in, a, in kind of a different way. What is your faith worth to you? You can't measure it, right? You, can, you can't put a dollar figure on it. And yet we are to, we are to, to give financially to, to God's work or to give, and not just in the church, but to to wherever, wherever, however our money can help to bless others and help others and feed others and, and clothe others. We should, be able, we should do that and be participating in that. But So we're making a value statement in some sense about that. Jesus does say about money, he says, where your money is, your heart will be also. So what you give to, you're also giving your heart to. So I'm hoping that... that if you're, you know, look at, at your budget and then what you spend and then what comes in and goes out, that, that a portion of that is going to God's work. But an actual value statement, what is it really worth to you? What is worthwhile? Giving of your time to the Lord's work in his church, in your community. What's that worth to you? So when he says here, Live your, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, it is you are showing the world, now hear this, you're showing the world that Christ is valuable to you. In fact, it's the most valuable thing in your life. It's the most valuable aspect of your life. My, my faith in Jesus, the one that God sent, who, who lived, died, and rose again for me and for all of us. And I want to show how important that is to me by the way in which I live. I choose to honor him, not just with my wealth. I choose to honor him with my time. I choose to honor him with my attitudes. I choose to honor him with my relationships. I choose to honor him as best I can with all of my being. This month, we're looking at the word being on those calendars. I hope you're doing that. And, and so each day, we understand more and more how we can become what he intended all along. Is that worth something to you? 
Is, is, is Christ valuable to you? Then show that value by your life. Not in a boastful kind of way or a conceited kind of way, but simply humbly living out the loving and compassionate ways of Jesus in your day-to-day walk, wherever and whoever that may be with. And continue in the 27th verse, then when I... When Excuse me, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one faith for the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Notice all the unity words there in that verse. Striving together, one for the faith, unity. Again, that is the heart of Jesus. That's, that's what Paul's getting the cross because he, of course, has the heart of Jesus, as we all do. We share in this faith, and we've got to be one, and he wants to hear good news from them. When Paul wrote these letters, he got, it was a reciprocal arrangement, and he would get news from them in writing. Or when he sent these letters in the hands of Timothy or in, in, of, of Titus or Epaphroditus, he, he would take those letters, send them to them through those guys, and then he would receive word back from them and maybe a writing from the church leaders. It would be great if we still had all those letters. Most of them have been lost to history, but thankfully, what God wanted is still here. And, and so, so we know that there was communication going on, and Paul is waiting for good word. Isn't it good to hear good news? In our world of instant communication, I don't think we appreciate that as much as we did just a few decades ago. When you were waiting word about something or, or, or waiting for a phone call that now could be communicated very quickly through a text message or an email or, or, or whatever, but um, through Facebook. But there was not, was not that long ago where sometimes you had to wait for things, and I think it's good to wait. We are too much of an instant everything, aren't we? Our culture, got to have it now, got to have it yesterday. Let's go online, click. What's taking so long? We've been conditioned to want everything now. And yet the, the better things, like love, begin with patience. When Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first word he uses as a descriptor? Love is patient. Amen. Patient. So Paul had to wait for communication weeks at a minimum, probably months, honestly, until he received word, if he received word at all. But when you're in that unknowing time, and isn't that the hardest time? Uh, one of the ways that we can't rush things anymore is um, because of what I've been through this year with my own health, cer certain medical tests, you have to wait. And even those are going quicker than they used to. Um, but there's certain tests that, that require so many days or hours for the, the test to work through. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of a specific one right now, but I know there's one blood test related to um, my thyroid cancer, that the, the follow-ups to that, that they have to look at, and it takes a few days 
for the result to come in because you can't rush that. So there's that in-between waiting. Isn't that hard? Isn't that unknowing? Tell me something. Is God present in the unknown? Is God present in the waiting? Is God present when you don't know and would like to know, but you can't control it? That is part of what Paul goes into. It is one aspect of, as I've described many times, the, a, a definition of suffering is any time that you're not in control. So let's, let's read on here, uh, the 29th verse. <clears throat> For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Suffering. Granted unto you. Well, that's okay. You don't have to give me that, Lord. I, I, could, I could do without it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and yet, we know that suffering is part of our lives in this world. In this broken world, suffering is inevitable. And, and again, that, that broader definition of suffering is that, that, that time you can't control something. You can't stop it, change it, move it. It's there. It might be a little annoying thing, and it might be a huge burden that you're bearing, or it might be just the saddest news of all of, of the death or imminent death of, of someone that's very dear to you. And you can't stop it, and you've done everything you can and you can't stop the person who is um, a thorn in your flesh, a person that is, is being, um, being cruel toward you in some way or cruel toward someone you love, and you can't make them change. And you'd like to, and you wish you could. All of that and many other aspects are part of what suffering is. So when Paul says here there is suffering, now there is suffering that is normal just being human, and then, but what I guess what he's getting at is there is kind of a, maybe an additional layer or even in some sense a deeper suffering that we experience because we follow Jesus, but it's good for us in the end that we do so. Because as we're going to look at next week when we get into the, the, the best part of, of, of the second chapter here is how, how God humbled himself in the form of Christ and took on flesh and, and suffered. So in our suffering, we learn to let go of that which we really don't need anyway. And isn't that what our lowest moments do to us? Suddenly, the really important schedule and plans we have for today and the next week or next month, all of a sudden kind of go, that doesn't matter anymore. Right now, is what matters is the person that I'm caring for who's really hurting or the hurt that's in me and I need help from others. That's what matters. And it also brings you down to that place where you say, hopefully in prayer, Lord, I need you right here. Be with me. And he never leaves you. And he's always there. Because when life is going really well, when everything's lining up, and, and there's 
happy days and, and suffering seems like a distant memory and, and, and we should be thankful for those days, but isn't, isn't it very tempting to just kind of leave God aside when things are going well? It is for me. I don't know about you. You know, oh, I haven't prayed in a while. Oh, yeah, I guess I should pray. Uh, well, everything's fine. Why, why should I pray? <laughs> well, first of all, it's not fine. It's not fine with everyone, everyone I care about. There's always some needs out there. This is what Paul wants us to understand about suffering. It, it is part of, part of the, our experience as believers is that it's there. But here's what's most important. You're not suffering alone. If you are suffering alone, it's in part because you chose that. In other words, you chose to be alone in it. You can choose the suffering itself. But, and sometimes it takes courage to turn to people and to trust people. And especially if your trust has ever been broken, I get that. I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying that that the, the feeling of rejection and abandonment, in part, is your choice. And, and the, first, the first remedy to that deep, dark place of aloneness is prayer. And sometimes that prayer is just very simple, two words to God, help me. Help me. And trust Him then to to draw you out of that, but it's usually going to be another person who enters in to sit beside you. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and, and sin came along and they chose to eat that fruit that they were forbidden to eat and they were both guilty of the sin, what happened next to them? They hid. They wanted to separate from God. They wanted to be alone. And, and really, if, that, if God hadn't intervened, they would have separated from each other too. Because that's what the enemy wants for us. He wants to isolate us into a place where you think no one else cares in this world and or you just feel, I'm so bad, I'm not deserving of care from anyone. Either, both of those are a lie, but they're very effective lies. And so that's what God wants for us. So all of this is, is about the facing struggle head on. You, you don't have to bring it on. You don't have to look for them. They're going to come. Okay, But as you do, trust God in it and don't get isolated in it. Walk with others and let them walk with you. And then it goes into the, the second chapter. I'm just going to cover the first few verses today of the second chapter. Um, chapter 2 of Philippians is Christmas. It, it really is. It, it's, it's not Luke 2. It doesn't have the angels and the shepherds and, the, and, and Mary and Joseph and all those special things we're going to be celebrating very soon. You know, um, it always cracks me up. I, I go to the to Lowe's and there's the Halloween decorations on sale making room for all the Santa stuff already, you know. <laughs> we enjoy Christmas, but the Christmas story is, is special and it's good. But the meaning of Christmas is what matters the most. And the meaning of, of God taking on flesh is, is spelled out from verses 5 through, through 12, through 11, I mean. 
and, and we're going to look at that next week. But the introduction into that beautiful and powerful description of the Christ emptying himself and, and taking on flesh and humbling himself to the cross and then being glorified in his resurrection after death. That's what Paul talks about. But he says in the second verse leading into that, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Now that word therefore is always a pause when you're reading scripture, studying it on your own. If you see the word therefore, look what it's there for. It's pointing back to the previous verses, the previous subject. He, and Paul does this a lot in his writings. And so because of the fact that life is hard and, and it's hard for all of us and there's going to be struggle, but God is with you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Let me pause there. That first verse. Look at that, that short list of good things. He's, he's almost using hyperbole. So he's, he's writing this to a group of believers, and a group of believers that for the most part really seem to get it. The Philippian church, they, they understood what it was about, and they were doing a good job in following Christ and, and supporting each other. So he says to them, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. I hope you can find at least a few things in your mind, even right now, of recently or many years ago, but moments in your, in your walk with Jesus that you can say, wow, that was encouraging. Thank you, Lord. Wow, I've been comforted by the love of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Wow, I've, I've, had, I've experienced tenderness in my life from others, and I've been able to give tenderness. I've, I've experienced compassion from people. And, and I, I hope you have more than a short list of examples of all of those. If you really pause to think about it, that would be a good thing to do, by the way. You know, sit down, and especially if you're frustrated or down, force yourself not just to be thankful and say, Lord, thank you for this, thank you for that, but actually write it down or type it down if you want, but make a list. Oh, yeah, Lord, you did that. Oh, yes, Jesus, you helped me that day. Oh, yes, Lord, that was... And we tend to set those aside or even forget them, and we shouldn't. One of those old hymns says, count your blessings. That's a good thing to list them out. So Paul's pointing to that. Encouragement and, and, and unity and common sharing and tenderness and compassion. If you have any of that in your life, if, if, if that's ever touched you in any way, God has touched you in that way, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. There's that unity again. He repeats it again and again. Because if there wasn't unity in the body and at a very functional level, then you never would have experienced 
the encouragement or the comfort or the common sharing or the tenderness or compassion. Because if everyone is focused on their own stuff only, their own thing, their own desire, their own agenda, they don't notice you and your struggle. They don't see you and your pain because they got this mirror in front of them all the time. Kind of like a smartphone. Those of you who know me, I have a flip phone, so I bust on people with smartphones. <laughs> Most of you have smartphones. You know. Every, like anything else, you've got to control it. Don't let it control you. I'll stop right there. <laughs> but that can be one way in which we focus too much on me. And, and you know, Facebook. I have a Facebook page. Wow, are people going to notice me? Oh, I only got 105 likes on that picture. Last week I put up something similar and I got 150. What's up with people? Don't they see me? Don't they see how blessed I am? Me, me, me. It's all about me. This is a narcissistic world. Let's be honest. And, and all of us can get sucked into that narcissism very easily and very subtly if we're not careful. So that's why Paul, and Paul had to say this to these people back then. They didn't have smartphones. But they had the same heart. That, that part of our heart that is selfish, that works against our own best interest, that, that tries to pull us away from the unity of the Spirit of God, is always going to say, hey, what about me? What about me? What about me? Let's set that aside and look at the other. And that's what he goes on to say then. In the third verse, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. I said a moment ago where back in the 27th verse of, of chapter 1, a manner worthy of the gospel, a, a kind of a value statement. Well, here's the word value again. Not the same exact word, but the same idea. In humility, value others above yourselves. That is how we show the worthiness of the gospel because we bring in the attitude that Jesus has about people, about us, and, and to put that other person first. And when I said to the children who gathered a moment ago, if everybody's looking out for each other, then no one's left out. Then no one's left behind. No one is, is, is abandoned because we are watching out and because we are not so focused on ourselves. We can see and hear and realize and touch on those that are in need. And they'll be there for us when we are in need. That's the church, isn't it? Amen? Amen. That's the church. Amen? Amen? We watch out for each other. I'm the guy who gets to talk every week up here. I'm glad to do this, but it's... I can't get a big head about that because all your jobs are just as important in the body of Christ overall. Yesterday didn't happen because Pastor Paul preached a good sermon. It had nothing to do with Pastor Paul's sermons. It was the fact that you all gave of your time and ability in various ways to make sure we had a good day together to welcome the community and have great fellowship in this room on a really rainy day. It was great. And, and your participation is just as important because it is, when it's done from the, from the heart of God, in God's eyes, it's just as valuable 
and I mean this, just as valuable as when Pastor Paul shares from the heart of God, from the Word, because then we are living out the Word, the essence of the Word, and we need both. So let's keep that in balance. Let's look out for each other. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the church, for the true church. That is the the connection that people who follow Jesus have with one another through your Holy Spirit, that we look out for each other, that we, that we care for one another and reach out to, to those who are lost. Help us, Lord Jesus, to keep that before us, that we would continue to be and always guard the unity of the body here at Bushko Community and, and, and every church that, that, that we can have an influence in to, to help them as well to stay united. Because as you pray, Jesus, in Gethsemane, you want us to be one. And may we honor you with, with that resolve to be united. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.